Good morning. This is Peter John, and you are tuned in to Rogue Grace. As we were making our way out of the parking lot after church yesterday, with my wife and my kids, we were stuck in traffic. And my wife said, that's not usually how it works. I don't know why it's going like this right now. Usually I get out fairly easy of the parking lot. And then it dawned on us, why? There was such a traffic jam in the parking lot directly after service, after church. (laughs) Do you know what that might be? It was the NFL. (laughs) So we realized, oh, everyone is in a hurry to go home and watch Peyton Manning. But they still came to church, didn't they? We did, didn't we? Think about this. The word church is ecclesia, as you may know, in the original language of the scriptures of the New Testament. Ecclesia. And it wasn't a word that was made up for the Bible. It already existed some hundred years or more before the church in the book of Acts. An ecclesia before the book of Acts, before Jesus, was, were those called out as a political gathering in the Greek civilization. So before the Roman Empire, so even uh, more than a hundred years before Jesus, hundreds of years before the Lord and before the church, it was a term that was essentially coined by Socrates. He made up the word church or ecclesia. And it was a political gathering in the Greek empire or civilization where there were two or more people gathered, if you would, for politics and for matters of Greek civilization. And so... Jesus uses that term church to describe what he was going to establish, not as a political entity or party, but those called out for a kingdom that was not of this earth. See, church is a place for the called. Isn't that cool? It was a place for the called in the Greek empire. Ecclesia literally means just that, the called. (laughs) And in the Greek empire and Roman empire, it was those who were called to gather for political reasons. But now Jesus has called you and I. Not for political purposes, but purposes of the kingdom of God, which is what? Righteousness, 
peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, we are told. So it wasn't, Jesus did not say, I'm going to build my tribunal or my city council, but I will build my church. Man, it was great to be at church yesterday. It's great to be at church tonight, on Wednesday night. It's great to be at church because we are called out of this world. Listen to this letter I got the other day. Peter John, I'm a 71-year-old woman who has been greatly impacted by your book, It Is Finished, and want to express my gratitude. I have struggled with the internal, quote, civil war you describe as the drill sergeant and the mistress. One saying, do more, do more, and the other saying, you deserve more, you need more. Although I was aware of the feelings and found them disconcerting, I learned to expect them to surface in my life from time to time. I suppose as a natural ramification of the push and shove in culture that I live. Hurdling the issues was easier than trying to make sense of the drama. Then I purchased your book. How many times had I read, quote, it is finished and, quote, God's grace is sufficient in the scriptures, but I'd never seen the practical application to my situation. Your book painted a picture for me. You provided characters to which I could relate, and you armed me with a response. I could feel the Spirit healing my soul with every word I read over and over again. A rest came over me, and a calm has come to stay in my heart. Thank you for your time, energy, and perseverance in writing. We all have ideas and insights swimming about in our heads, but in reading your book, I came to realize it's not just expressing those thoughts, but now you bring them to life that a reader is able to own for himself. Yes, and I hear you saying it's all about Jesus and his finished work, and it certainly is, and I've praised him for it, but it's nice when he wants to share it with his friends. So we see there in that cool, cool little letter (laughs) why it's so good to come to church.
go into our study in the New Testament book of Hebrews. But before we do that in a little bit, I I want to show you something or point out something from Jesus's being tempted in the wilderness, in the desert. You, You know the story well. It's those three times that the devil came to him and said, if you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God, then turn this, these rocks into bread. Then jump off the highest point of the temple and let his angels catch you. Then bow down to me and I will give you all of the kingdoms of the world. So, Essentially, the devil was saying, if you are the son of God, then jump or bow or turn rocks into bread. If, then. Of course, you've heard if, then, but that's the ultimate if, then. The temptation that the devil brings and the temptation he brought to Jesus, to the son of God himself. Now look, two prongs to his temptations, to his attacks, to Jesus. And and I think that it may very closely resemble any time that we find ourselves attacked or tempted. In our conscious, in our thinking, in our minds, 
And, and those two things are if, then. So, if is the accusation. If you really are a Christian, if you really are successful, if you really are good looking, <laughs> if then, then do this, then do that, then you need to do more. You need to do more because you need more. When Jesus cried from the cross, it is finished. Temptation comes in and says, no, it's not. You need to make it happen. You need to do more. You need to make yourself happy or you need to make it happen. See how that works? But so often it can be um, in pursuit of... uh, The funny thing is, the interesting thing is, temptation can be the pursuit of perfectionism. Because your conscience is saying more, more needs to be done. When the cross says enough, it is finished. So I think often temptation is so subtle because it gives you the feeling, I need to do more. I need to accomplish more. I need to get more done. And so then we start acting out in the flesh, as the scriptures calls it. Like the people of Israel trying in their own power to take the land of promise after God had told them, it's not yours right now. They tried to roll up their own sleeves and do it themselves, and it led to major problems. Defeat, ultimately, didn't it? And so often I think that, I think, or we think probably, we have to roll up our sleeves, we have to get it done, whatever it might be, family, finances, ministry, career. And that, when we're, when we're thinking that we have to get it done, when we have to accomplish it in our own power, our own strength, our own volition, that can be a real sense of temptation to try to finagle, to try to manipulate, to try to work out in our own energy or power. I, I think maybe the real key to overcoming temptation is rest. When Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are weary, and if you're heavy burdened, and I will give you rest for your soul. To me, that's a real key to temptation. I don't have to accomplish. I don't have to make it perfect. I don't have to prove myself. I think a lot of... Um, Well, let me just say, a lot of idiocy (laughs) on my part would be avoided and is avoided when I remember it is finished. Your love is like radiant diamonds bursting inside us. We cannot contain Your love will 
come find us like blazing wildfire singing your name God Bye. 
Don't go back. That is one of the great themes of the book of Hebrews. Don't go back. But the thing about the book of Hebrews in the New Testament is the concept is don't go back into the law. Don't go back into legalism. For when Jesus cried from the cross, it is finished. That is exactly what he meant. And that's exactly what we need. Because you and I cannot finish the work of salvation. We cannot finish the work of sanctification. We can't. Not on our own. We need a Savior who could cry for us, it is finished. So don't go back into a type of mentality that says, it is finished and here's what I need to do. It is finished and here's what I am supposed to do. No, we want to follow the law that is to keep God's commandments because it is already finished. And so let me ask you a question before we hop in to the text. Let me ask you, radio listener, are you a righteous person? I'm asking you, are you a righteous person? What's your first reaction? What's your response? Well, you know, I'm, I'm working on it, might be your thought or a response. No, you are already righteous through your faith in Christ Jesus. It is his finished work that finishes it once and for all. So the book of Hebrews is all about that. Reminding these Christians, don't go back into legalism, into the law as a means of righteousness. Why would they be tempted to go back? I can't say for sure. Perhaps it had been years since Jesus promised he would come back and they were growing restless. Maybe. But the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't go back. Stay in this place of the finished work. Look at what he says in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves in their disputes. An oath is made for final confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly 
to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we have, been, we have fled for refuge, and we might find strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone in as a forerunner on our behalf. Check it out. Jesus is our forerunner. He's the one, think my dad put it this way in his commentary. Think about a football game where there is the cheerleading section, you know, before the game starts and they have their huge paper banner, right? With all the words on there, the names of the players and go team go and what have you. And the players led by the captain, he runs through that banner. And that's what Jesus is for us. The banner of God's law and perfection. Jesus ran through it. Jesus came through it. Jesus perfectly kept it for you and me so that now we can follow him through the banner, through the veil of the temple. For it says, we have a hope that enters in to the inner place behind the curtain. Isn't that cool? We have a hope that goes behind the curtain, we are told in Hebrews chapter 6. The curtain, you know what that is, that veil that was so thick. That veil that separated the inner court from the Holy of Holies where the priests were from where no priests were allowed, where the presence of God was. That veil was torn in half, as you know. And now we have a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. You have a hope right now that enters in behind the veil, behind the curtain, into the Holy of Holies. You have a hope because here's why. It's not you that is your perfection, your obedience, or your performance. It's what Jesus Christ has done. It's his obedience and his performance that allows us to come boldly for the veil has been torn. The banner has been ripped and we come into the presence of God so you can talk to God and pour out your heart to the Father at any time without wondering if you are or are not being heard or if you're skating on thin ice. No, you are perfect in Jesus Christ. Savior say thy strength indeed is small child of weakness 
just watch and pray Find in me thine all in Joshua, as he was about to lead the people of Israel into the land of promise. In fact, not only did he say, I am with you, but even as I was with Moses, I am with you. You know what the beauty is? You know what the, to me it is, what's so cool about that statement? He doesn't say, here's what's amazing to me is that it does not say, if you are just like Moses, I will be with you. 
but rather, Joshua, even as I was with Moses, I am with you. And you might be under the impression that you need to be like someone else, when in fact, you're not called to be like someone else. God says, I am with you. I am with you as if you have kept the law flawlessly. I am with you as though you were Moses. I am with you as though you were perfect. Because you see, you know, the name Joshua, that's the same name as Jesus. And even as God said to Joshua, I am with you as I was with Moses. God says to me, I am with you as though you have kept the law of Moses because of Joshua, because of Jesus. So I want you, if you could, if you will, to keep that in mind, to approach this week as though you are the favored No, you're the favorite of God. Have you ever done that? Have you you ever entered into a, a job or a work day or a week on a Monday as though with the mentality as though you are God's favorite? (laughs) Go for it. Because through Jesus Christ... That's exactly who you are. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say?
disciples were sleeping he was sweating remember that i know you do they're in the garden of gethsemane he was sweating drops of blood hematridosis now that is stress you thought you have a stressful day or i do no what jesus was about to encounter that was stress. Being rejected by God. The failure of mankind placed fully upon his shoulders. Crucified on a cross. And while his disciples were sleeping, he was sweating. And while he was sweating, his disciples were sleeping. And even now, Thousands of years later, through Jesus' sweat, we find rest. We sleep, so to speak. We don't have to live or we don't have to function today in restlessness. We can find rest. Because by the sweat of his brow, Jesus sweated blood so that we no longer are under the curse. You know, when God said to Adam there in the garden of Gethsemane, because you have taken the fruit, you will now live by the sweat of your brow, quote unquote. It's also translated in some Bibles correctly. It's translated frustration or anger. So by the frustration or the anger of your brow. We might say stress, right? Well, Jesus' body there in the garden was overloaded due to the anxiety that he was righteously experiencing. He was sweating blood, not over necessarily being nailed to a cross, but over losing awareness of God's presence And he did that. He embraced that. He accepted that. Because now he rests. <laughs> Not R.I.P. Rest in peace in the ground. He rose again. 
He is seated at the right hand of God the Father. He rests in his work that is accomplished. He rests in his holiness that he has accomplished. He rests. So why don't you rest today? Why don't you take a break? I don't necessarily mean physically. Go to work or school or raise your kids or what have you. I'm talking internally. I'm talking finding peace in your soul. That's the power of the cross. Speaking of resting, I have been taking, I don't know, 15 minutes off or so every day, going to 10.45 instead of 11. I'm going to continue to do that, at least today. Maybe tomorrow I'll go to 11. We'll see. Tonight, come join us in the sanctuary. My brother will be opening up God's word, and I know God will open up his word to us. Come join us for worship and for communion and for God's word. And then, of course, there's always snacks afterwards, too, which is pretty cool. All right. Lord willing, I will talk to you again. Manana. God bless. <laughs>